welcome to the Reliance Community Podcast. Worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock or 10.45 a.m. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. How many of you guys love you some Jesus today? Yeah? So, I, uh, man, I, can I just, I, I just want to tell you about the love of the Lord today. <laughs> I'm just stripping everything down. Can I just tell you how much Jesus loves you? Is that okay if we just do that? And you can be like, I've heard this a thousand times where you're going to hear it a thousand more, all right? I just simply want to tell you about the love of the Lord today. And we've been in our Advent season, we've talked about hope, and we've talked about peace, and we've talked about joy, and today we talk about love, and I felt like the Lord just stripped it all down and says, just, just tell my people how much you love them, and how much I love them. And um, part of this is really stimulated because I feel like as we're heading into this next year, um, that we are kind of reworking, retransitioning our hearts to get back on the main thing, which is our first love. And our first love is always Jesus, right? There's always this kind of refocus in our heart as individuals, as churches, to make sure that everything that we're doing, and sometimes you can get off track individually and corporately, to make sure everything that you're doing is to focus on your first love and how much our first love is always Jesus. But to get back to your first love, we have to first understand how much our first love loves us. Amen? And so I just want to talk to you about the love of the Lord today. The word love is probably one of the strongest words on planet Earth. Probably one of the strongest words on planet Earth. Some of us struggle to say it. Remember the first time maybe you fell in love with somebody and the first time maybe they said it to you and you were supposed to say it back and you go, I I love you, right? And it was like this moment, like you broke through, but you're like, I don't know how that felt. Like that's a place of vulnerability. Some of us just throw it out like crazy. Love ya, love this, love that. For some, it's a struggle. For others, it can be easy. I remember the first time that I experienced that love from somebody else outside of mom and dad, all right? Mom and dad had to love me, all right? So when they would say I love you, I'm like, well, you have to, right? But the first time that I really experienced, and, and I, was, I was a senior in, 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 in high school, uh, had been um, at this summer camp. I've told you the story how I met my wife, Christy. We went to the summer camp. She was from Nebraska. I was from Kansas. Anyways, it was in Colorado. And our senior year, out of all the years, we just graduated high school, went to camp that summer expecting her to be there, and she didn't show up. Um, her group didn't come that year. And I remember just, I was devastated. I was like, oh man, I really thought like she was the one, right? And I remember getting a letter from her. Young people, that's where a pen used to hit paper and you would write those things out. Um, but I would remember getting a letter from her and it was a 10-page love letter. 10-page love letter. I know, I know, you can gush, right? And I remember reading that letter. Just It was front and back too, by the way. So really it's like 20 pages, I know, but... I remember reading that letter and all the guys in the bunk were like, what are you reading? Nothing, (laughs) you know? And after reading that, just having this overwhelming feeling that somebody could love me that much. And it was just, it was this huge moment for me until I encountered the Lord when I was 20 years old up at K-State. And at 20 years old up at K-State, I went to a conference and the love of God came over me. And although my wife's love letter was top-notch, it did not compare to the love that Jesus poured down on me. And I realized that he wrote 66 books of love letters for me. 
want you to capture in is the love that we're talking about today. This is the love that I want you to capture in your hearts today. First John 4 says, for love is from God because God is love. The God who carved the Grand Canyon, the God who hung the moon in its place, the God who put the sun in all of its radiance, the God who made the most beautiful scenes on planet Earth, the God who puts the dew on the ground and rain from heaven, the God who knows every moving thing in every molecule is the God who is with us and loves us. And I want you to capture that today. I want you to grab on to this reality that he loves you. You see, we could talk about the love of God for all of eternity and still never even get to the full nature of what that is. His love never runs out. We'll never fully understand that love of God's heart. It's why Paul prays for us in Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, Paul prays for us to understand this incomprehensible love. It's an incomprehensible love, and he's praying for us to understand, and he says this, for this reading to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, now listen to this church, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is saying, out of all the things that I want to drop to my knees and pray for, that you would comprehend, that you need strength for, that you need power for, it's that you would comprehend with all the strength of God to understand the love of Christ. And when you begin to understand the love of Christ, he says that you would be filled to all the fullness of God. We need strength to understand this love. Because just at the thought of God's love, man, it makes you just want to faint. Just like, I don't understand it. God, it's so powerful, so big. His love changes everything. It's why for centuries, men and women have given up and abandoned their plans. They've abandoned their pursuits. They've given up their lives because they've tasted the love of God and they found nothing else that can bring them that kind of pleasure like the love of God. It's why Solomon writes all of these things in the book of Ecclesiastes that he did this and he did this and he tasted this and he chased this and he had a thousand wives. And he did it. Every pleasure known to man. And Solomon says, none of it compares to the love of God. It's why Paul says, I was this status and I had this and I was wealthy and I did all these things. Paul puts all of his pedigree out there in scripture saying, I was it, I had it all. And he says, and it was trash. It was rubbish. It meant nothing compared to knowing the surpassing greatness of Jesus Christ. It's one of the most profound statements that we read in Scripture. We memorize it if you grew up in church. It's the first Scripture verse you probably memorized, John 3, 16. It's all over the place. We put it on banners. Athletes wear it on, on their helmets or in those little blackout markers under their eyes. It's all over the place. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. His love for us prompted him to give himself in Jesus Christ. We are his pursuit, church. Listen to me, I know you know this message, but I want to know, do you know this message? I know you've heard this message, but I want to know, have you heard this message? I want to know, does this message know your heart? Has it changed all things? He is pursuing you, and his pursuit is because he loves you. You might be thinking, who am I? Who am I that this love of God would pursue me? And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 8, when I look at the heavens and the works of your fingers and the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Listen to me say this today. He loves you, and I'm not talking about he loves you. Deflecting the fact that God loves somebody else, but he can't love you. Stop deflecting that God loves your spouse, but he doesn't love you. Stop deflecting that you think that God loves the great Christian, but he can't love you. He loves you and he's in pursuit of you. So much so that even though condemnation is what we deserved, he tells us that he did not send his son to condemn us, but to save us and set us free. How can we not want to see him rightly? How can we come to church week after week after week and just look for something that's gonna build me up for a moment when this is his pursuit? This is what he desires. I'm telling you, you won't have to come to church week after week after week hoping for a sermon that will somehow touch your heart if you understand the love of God, amen? You won't have to come looking for something that's gonna make you feel good if you already know the love of God. Trust me, you'll be there because it changes everything. And so we want to know him rightly. He could have started over a 100 times just with me. <laughs> oh, Aaron, you screwed this up. He could have started over a hundred times. He could have snapped his fingers and he could have got what he That's why Romans 5.8 says, kids, he never gave up. That's why Romans 5.8 says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't something because you had merit. It wasn't because you had something that you did. It wasn't something that you said. It was simply because of his love for you and I. Everything in scripture is trying to get us to this point. Everything in scripture is trying to get us back to the main thing. God is love. From Genesis to Revelation, it is 66 books on the love of God for his people. The love of God trying to woo his people back. The love of God trying to get his people back. When, when we see what he does and we run the other direction, it's like, oh yeah, God, that was good for me, but I want a momentary pleasure. And so the book of Hosea, one of my favorite books, and it's just this book about this, this, this guy who marries this woman, we've talked about it here, who's a prostitute, and God's gonna use this as an example. And so she's not faithful to Hosea. She's constantly checking out on Hosea, and she's unfaithful to him. And God goes, this is what it's like with you and I. 
that you're, com- you're, you're constantly committing adultery, chasing after other things rather than me. And yet in the book of Hosea, Hosea is constantly going back and taking his wife back to the point where she's sold into slavery. And God goes, Hosea, go sell all your stuff and go get her back. So he gives everything he has and he buys his wife back. And God goes, this is what I'm gonna do for you because I love you. This is what scripture keeps pointing us to. This is God's love for you and I. The manger scene was always a way to get us to the cross. It was always a prelude to the cross. The the love that we saw here as a baby in the manger would always be the love that we saw in finality on the cross. I love that song that we sang extravagant. It doesn't make sense. We'll never comprehend how much he loves us. There's a portion that we sing in that only heaven knows just how far you'd go to say you love us. I was that in my heart this week as I was listening to that song and I was just thinking about the message. And Satan is not all-knowing like God is. God is all-knowing. He knows all things. Okay, he's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Satan does not. And I just have this idea that when he began to think about God, magnificent God, God enthroned on his throne, majesty is his name, glory is his name, all holiness is his name, and angels are surrounding him night and day, night and day, talking about his holiness. And God, in all of his wisdom, would breathe into the dust from the ground and create you and I in his image. And I think that that's what struck Satan and just like, oh, they make, that makes me so mad because he was a beautiful angel and he wanted to elevate his throne above God so God cast him out of heaven because he had pride. And I think what just irritated Satan was that God would breathe life into you and I and say that we were made in his image. But let me tell you what I think flipped his script, what just absolutely goaded him that he gets us trapped in the Garden of Eden when Satan tempts Eve and she gives in to sin and Satan's gone, ah, I got him, pulled them away. And I think what absolutely just goaded Satan is this idea that God, glory-filled God, God on his throne creates all things, by his power sustains all things, that this God would step off of his throne and wrap himself in flesh and give his life for you and I. It's John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Philippians 2, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. And I think that Satan goes, God, in all of his glory and majesty, how could he step down and love them that much? And that's why he's in absolute turmoil against us. The radiance of God, the angel singing about him. And this mankind made from the dust of the ground that he breathes life into, he would step down for them. It's mind-blowing. When everything is stripped back and everything is peeled away, what you see in all of creation is God creator, beginning and the end, alpha and omega, ripping through the universe to have you. And then our res- what's our response to that? Oh, that's nice, God, thank you. See you next Sunday. 
What's our response to God, creator, alpha, omega, beginning and the end, ripping through the universe to have you? What's our response to that when it's all peeled back? Listen, God didn't create you because he was lacking something. God created you because he loves you. He didn't create you in lack. He created you in love. Listen to me, church. He didn't create you out of need. He created you out of want. He did not create you because he needed more worship. He did not create you because he needed more glory. God has all glory and he has all worship. In and of himself, he is fulfilled. God created you and I because he saw fit to take mankind and allow us the opportunity to be with him forever and ever and ever when we choose him in our heart. And even though we failed, he came and redeemed us. Song of Solomon 8.6 says that he set me as a seal, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. His love conquered death and his jealousy for us. Listen, when I say jealousy for us, it means he will not share us, amen? And he will not share us with the grave. So he conquered the grave that you and I could be with him forever. This right here is what drives us, church. It's what drives us. And let me just tell you something I think that we struggle with when it comes to love. What, what we struggle with is that we've got this fear that tries to come into our minds. This is what contends against love. Fear is what contends against love. 1 John 4, 16 tells us this. So we have come to know you and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and abides in him. By this is love, by this is love perfected within us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is also, we are also in the world. There is no fear in love, amen? For perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. I truly know or the enemy of God's love is fear. If you and I truly know the depths of God's love, we do not have fear. I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm not perfect in that. And sometimes I have fear, Amen. But thanks be to God because of his grace that he reminds me of his love and I can overcome that fear. Listen to me, we're not talking perfect. Look, he'll perfect us when the clouds rip open and he comes back. Right now we're in this battle going, he loves me. I'm a little fearful. <laughs> but he loves me. I'm gonna break through. I'm gonna get through it. Listen, church, this is the message. When we accept the reality of his love for us, our fear does not control us. This was the biblical stories that we read over and over and over, men and women in fear, the disciples in the boat in fear, Jesus standing up, you have little faith, he calms the storm. The Israelites in the clefts of the rock while David goes out and fights Goliath in fear. It's over and over and over. There's this fear that's holding our lives back from trusting the Lord and trusting his love. And then Jesus breaks through and he cries out, it's finished and the ultimate perfected love falls down upon us. In God's plan for our life, allow fear to dominate our life. It's going to keep us from experiencing God's 
plan for our life because when fear comes in, it can permanently, it, it, can, it can cause us a, a paralysis in the things that God has for us to just stay still and not go forward in the things that God has for us. It can terrorize our heart and keep us in a place of feeling like we're terrified of what's next. It can steal our joy. It can steal our hope. These are the things that fear does. This is why Paul tells Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of what? He didn't give you the spirit of fear. It's not from the Lord. He didn't give you the spirit of fear, but he gave you the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. Power, love, and truth. That's what he gave you the spirit of. It's what the Holy Spirit does. Reminds us of the power of God, the love of God, and the truth of God in our life. I love Ann Voskamp. She has a book called uh, 1,000 Gifts. And this is what she says, and this is good. All fear, all fear is but the notion that God's love ends. Fear strikes us down into our very existence, causing us to question God's love. When we let fear take hold of us, it's because we have not allowed love to have its way within us. Before Christ went to the cross, fear was legitimate. We had separation from God. It signified our sin, separating us from the holy God of the universe. But when Jesus bore the weight of the cross once and for all, he cast out fear, he cast out death, he cast out separation, amen? And this is why 1 Corinthians 13, 8 says, love never fails. Graham Cook says it like this, the fruit of the spirit is more powerful force against the enemy than anything else. You can defeat the enemy by living in the love of God. You can weary him by your joy. You can depress him with your peace. You can overwhelm him with your patience. You can frustrate him with your kindness. And he says, just by being everything that you are for God, you are automatically against the enemy. The enemy can't put fear on you if you're basking in the love of God because perfect love casts out fear. And so you've got this love that he ripped open the universe for you. You've got fear that's constantly trying to creep into your life. And at the end of the day, all of it is because the enemy's trying to breathe lies over you and I when it comes to the love of God. The enemy wants you to believe that God's love is not for you. I want to tell you three lies that he wants you to believe. Three lies you've heard a thousand times, but I'm going to tell you again in 2020 because it's just that year, Okay. The number one lie the enemy wants, to believe, wants you to believe about God's love is that you have to earn it. You have to earn God's love. You've got to earn it. You've, look, your church attendance was terrible. What? You didn't go to Bible study? So all of a sudden, somehow, the enemy speaking over your life that somehow you have to earn this thing. And yet, Ephesians 2, 4 says, God in, in is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of sins, he gave his life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Nobody in here was saved off of merit. Nobody in here was saved off of good deeds. Nobody. There's one way in which you and I get to approach him in his throne room, and it's because of his grace and his love poured out on us because of him. But the enemy wants you to believe that somehow you've got to earn this thing. It's not quite there. Keep trying. Keep trying. And it's a rat race that you'll never win. You'll constantly Run this rat race of believing that if I could just do a little bit more, maybe he'll love me a little bit more. 
And you'll never win that. The second lie that he wants you to believe about his love is that it's not a forever love. It's a momentary thing. It comes and goes, but it's not a forever love. Romans 8.35 says, can anything separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Look, there's a lot of people that have prophesied things over the nation. Well, that happened because God doesn't love you anymore. Well, that happened because God's not for you anymore. And I'm just telling you, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that nothing's gonna separate. Now, God is good at discipline to bring us back, amen? But I'm telling you right now, nothing separates you from the love of God. He goes on, he says, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ Jesus who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, nor worries about tomorrow, nor the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on. This is it. Yet Satan's going to tell you God's love's going to run out one day. You keep doing what you're doing, God's love's going to run out one day, and it's not a forever love. Don't buy into that lie. He wants you to believe you've got to earn it, and he wants you to believe that somehow it's going to run out. The third lie he wants you to believe, that God's love will fail you. Let me read this to you. I don't want to talk about this one. Psalm 36.5 says, How precious is your unfailing love. O God, all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings. Out of all the lies I think that Satan gets us to believe, this one is one of the most prevalent in the life of the church, in the life of believers, in the life of our world, and here's why. Because we'll pray for things and they don't happen, and Satan whispers, God's love failed you. I prayed for my spouse, things didn't pan out. God's love failed you. I prayed for, the, for this, I did this, I went this way. I thought, I thought I heard the Lord, I thought I went in the right direction. And somehow the whole time God's whispering, or the, Satan's whispering, God's love failed you. I want you to know, church, that is a lie from the pit of hell. His love is never failing. His love is never failing. He, 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 he cannot it's not in his nature. It's, it's not who he is. He would cease to be God if his love was failing. His love is never failing. Maybe you didn't get what you wanted your way. It does not mean that his love failed you. I promise you, when he comes back, he will take all things, as his word says, and work them together for your good. For those who love him are called according to his purposes. I'm telling you that just because something didn't pan out your way, his love did not fail you. And Satan's gonna breathe these lies. You gotta earn it. His love's not forever, and his love fails you. He's gonna breathe them over and over and over until he can get you to simply doubt God's love for you. It's the whole of what Scripture first love. So what's our response? Well, our response is really simple. What are we trying to do? Earn his love. 
So what we would say is, okay, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to, I'm gonna try to love him better, and here's how I'm gonna try to love him better. I'm gonna do this, 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 and this, and this. And all of a sudden, our response to God's love is that I've gotta do, I've gotta be this, I've gotta say this, and all we're doing is believing that somehow his love for me is attached to what I do or what I say. And this is the response that we see in scripture. We can read about it in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we read about Lazarus who's died. He's got two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus shows up on the scene. He sees everybody weeping. And in verse 35 of John 11, it says, Jesus wept. And here's what it says. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And then we see something profound. Just set this up in in John chapter 12, just a chapter later. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. John chapter 11, and we find that same group of people in John chapter 12, and here's the response of their heart to the love of Jesus. It says that Lazarus and some of the others at the table, weird, all right? And then all of a sudden, Lazarus' sister Mary comes in, doesn't say anything, gets down at the feet of Jesus, the room's full of men. She breaks open that expensive jar of perfume Scripture records two, three years worth of wages, whatever it is. She pours it on the feet of Jesus. She's on her knees, and she begins to wipe and dry his feet with her hair. She's responding to the love of Jesus in her life by drawing into his presence. What's so profound about that to me, church, is that as she's drawing in, this is what everybody in the room is doing. Why'd you do that? We could have used that money to, to, to feed the poor. We could have done something else with that money. We could have, we could have, we could have, we could have. They were all in response, trying to bring themselves to a place of, we could have done something else. We could have done something else, and somehow that would have showed the love of God for our life. But what Mary is doing is getting at the feet of Jesus and simply breaking the thing that was the most possession that she owned and pouring it on his feet and sitting at his feet. And she was saying, this is the way that I can respond to your love, nothing else. So as the band comes forward, I want to encourage you right now in your heart of hearts. How will you respond to the love of God this year? You're going to respond to the love of God just trying to get to church more often? You're going to respond to the love of God by trying to just be a better person? You're going to respond to the love of God by trying to earn your way maybe a little bit more only to realize that you can't, or will you respond to the love of God by just simply sitting in his presence? Will you respond to the love of God by just simply drawing into him, and his word says that he'll draw into you? How are you gonna respond to the love of God? You see, church, I wanna make a covenant with you this year. I wanna make a covenant with you this year that anything outside of the presence of Jesus that we've made ministry that we're done with that. That anything that we've made ministry outside of just getting, man, the love of God in our life and chasing after the love of God, and when I say chasing after it, it's right there, so it's really a stupid saying that we say. It's there. That we would make a covenant that this is the most important thing. That all of Scripture is trying to bring us to this moment, just going, do you know my love? 
I promise you, when you take your last breath on planet Earth, hopefully you're 99, 100, 101, however you want to, how old, old you want to live to, when you take that last breath, you won't think about all the things that you were able to do or not do. You will think about one thing. When I take my last breath in this body, well, I breathe my first breath in with Him. Will you make this covenant with me that, man, this is our pursuit, this, this, this is our desire, this is our heart, that we will just be men and women who desire the presence of Jesus. That's what we want. He loved us first, and our response isn't, I'm going to try to do more. Those things will come out of the overflow of you and I pursuing his presence. Let's pray this over you today, and then we'll respond with worship. Yeah, and we'll go from there. Father, thank you for your love today. we don't want to chant together as a people, that we don't want to chase after things that are void of your presence. Jesus, we don't want to just do activity that doesn't bring people to the love of God. And so I pray, Jesus, that this infiltrates every part of our life. Lord, that if I'm going to go to work somewhere, I'm going to go to work so that I can bring the presence of Jesus to my work. That if I'm going to go to school, I'm going to go to school so that I can bring the presence of Jesus into my school. I pray, God, everything else is stripped away. This is our focus. This is our desire. This is our want that we just want to be where you are. Yeah, so God, will you just bring that in our hearts? In Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the deal. I'm not asking you to stand. If you want to stand, you can. You can kneel. You don't have to. If you want to kneel, if you want whatever you want to do, I just want you to take a moment. I just want you to draw into his presence. Whatever that looks like for you. Be hands out, be on your face, be standing up. Some of you are like, I like to cross my arms. Whatever you want to do. But whatever draws you into the presence of the Lord, let's go after him today and make it about him today. Here we go. Thanks for listening today. If you want to find out how to get involved, go to reliancecommunity.org.